0: Bible's with me today to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, continuing our study, uh, this series entitled Things to Come. This will be our seventh study together on things to come. We're taking these studies out of Matthew 24 and 25. Today's study is entitled Ready or Not, Ready or Not. As you're there in Matthew, let me remind you of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure this hope of Christ's return and seeing him face to face and the fuller revelation of him to our lives has a purifying and a refining influence. Even though we don't see him yet, the knowledge that we will impacts the way we live our lives today. I mean, imagine if you knew for certain that he was coming this afternoon. He's coming, and so, now we know that he, we don't, no one knows the day or the hour, but just pretend for a moment that you knew today was the day, 3.45 this afternoon. It might impact the way you would spend the rest of the day, right? It would certainly maybe change your plans. Well, the same thing would be true is if you believed in your heart that He's not returning anytime soon. In fact, you know, probably not in my lifetime, maybe, you know, generations from now. Uh, he's, it's been so long, he's probably not coming back. And I really don't, don't think much about it. Well, that too has an impact on the way that you live your life. You're not really ready or watchful because you just don't believe that that's really something that would happen. So the scriptures tell us to be ready, to be watchful we're encouraged not to live as though it'll never happen in our lifetime. Now, we're not encouraged to live predicting and you know trying to calculate his return, but we are called to be watchful, ready, and faithful. And I believe that's what today's study encourages us. Uh, we're studying through Matthew 24 and 25. As you know, this is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives. He's answering the disciples' questions about future events. He's giving a prophetic view of the future. He speaks of what we believe is a general flow of history between his first and second coming. But we also see some very specific details of the time we've identified as the tribulation and also his visible physical return to the earth. And at the conclusion of Jesus instructing this kind of prophetic uh, future, he is now going to give five illustrations. In other words, he's going to use what he's said to the disciples about the future, and he's going to use it to now kind of encourage them and bring some application on how this knowledge should be applied and worked into your daily life. And he's going to use five illustrations to kind of bring that to light for us. That's what we want to look at here today, and I believe we'll have time to get through all five of them, but we will have to move quickly. Now, before we get started, let me just say that there are different views as to how to interpret these illustrations. Some believe that these illustrations are really specifically addressing the believers that will be alive during the actual seven-year tribulation. And I think for sure there is some information here that applies to that generation. But I think there's also some good insight into all generations in terms of living ready and prepared and faithful for the Lord's return. So I believe that we can find good things for our own lives here today as well. Take a look with me at the first illustration. We're picking it up in Matthew 24, verse 32. The first illustration Jesus gives to us is the parable of the fig tree. Verse 32, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus uses a very simple illustration of the fig tree. The fig tree is a prominent tree growing there in the land of Israel, and it blooms in late spring. Everybody can tell when the fig leaves are coming back on the tree that we're getting close to summer. And Jesus is saying, look, in the same way that you're able to look at natural signs and determine season, so look at these prophetic signs and be able to, to recognize the prophetic season that's coming. As you see these things, you know that it is near, he says in verse 33. What things? Well, the prophetic signs that he's just been talking about. Some of the things you and I have looked at in weeks past, the the signs of the tribulation, the signs of his return. When you see these things, know that it, the tribulation and his return is near. And he says in verse 34, that assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, I think in the context here, he's just finished talking about the tribulation and his return. I believe the generation that he's speaking about is the generation that is alive to witness those specific signs that uh, when you see those things, uh, that generation will not pass away till the fullness of all of that comes to pass. So if you're alive in the tribulation, you begin to see these things take place. Jesus is saying, look, that's the last generation before the, the coming kingdom. I think that's the proper way to see that. Now, you know, it, it may be some have, have thought, well, generation may be a reference to the to Jewish race because the word there can be interpreted race. And so it may be that he's saying, well, look, the Jewish race will always be prominent and identified until all of these things take place. But I think probably the better understanding would be the generation that is there to see those specific signs that, you'll, that they will know the end is near. But he says this in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And that's the, the foundation beneath all of these things. Prophecy is not given to us to kind of spook us or ca- cause fear nor is it given to us that we might be able to calculate and predict things. It's given as a foundation beneath us to know that even as the world changes, heaven and earth changes, societies come and go, empires rise and fall, the word of God remains true and God's promises are sure. Anchor your faith and hope in the promises of God. That is the call. That's the exhortation here to be watchful, and knowledgeable of God's promises. We need to know his word. That's why we're taking the time to study these things. Now I don't believe we will be here during that time of tribulation, but listen, we begin we we will be here, we may very well be here to see the beginning signs of what will ultimately give way to the tribulation. I'm believing we will be raptured out of those years, but we can see things approaching. We can see leaves on the tree. We can be mindful if we're paying attention, if we know the word, if we're watching the signs of the times. It helps keep a perspective for us that even when things are unsettled, we don't need to be fearful. Didn't the Bible say perilous times will come? Didn't Jesus say the love of many will wax cold? Didn't the apostle Paul say men will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? As we look on the news today, there's very unsettling and and fearful things going on in in, in the earth and even in our own culture. But the word of God becomes something of an anchor for us. We're not overly troubled. Now, I'm not saying we're not affected. We don't care. We're disconnected. But I'm saying that beneath it all, we have the trust and knowledge that God is working things towards his prophetic end. And I can recognize those signs, even in troubled signs, in troubled times. And I don't need to be overwhelmed, even with my own personal trials. I can be assured that, you know what? God has a plan and a future for me that will include delivering me even from these current trials that I'm going through. As we study these prophetic uh, images of the future, My hope is that it will give us that confidence in the word of God. Keep your faith and hope anchored in him and his promise. Let's look at the second illustration, the days of Noah. The days of Noah, pick it up with me, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The main idea here is that God is not giving the day and hour to man. We do not know the specific day and hour of his return. Now, I do believe this is speaking to that generation that will be alive during that time of tribulation. But this certainly, these truths would apply to us as the church awaiting his return for the church to rapture us to be with him. We don't know the day and the hour. And, and Jesus compares it to the days of Noah. They did not know that the flood, the day of judgment, was coming. Now, it's not because they had never been told. The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And of course, they saw him building the ark for many years. They had witness, but in their hearts and minds, they really didn't believe that it was coming in their time. They really didn't believe that they were headed for any kind of judgment. And so they continued just to be busy and preoccupied with the pursuits of their own lives. Now, Jesus says you know, that they were given in marriage and that they were you know, just living their lives. These are not evil things. Jesus himself uh, went to weddings. Jesus himself gathered eating and drinking with those of his generation. So the, it, it's not a condemnation about living your life. It's about living your life with the perspective of, that Jesus is coming. Don't become so caught up in life that you fail to, to recognize that Jesus has made some promises about his return that should affect the way you're living your life. He was warning against not being ready for his return. In the, way, in the flood, of course, it came and it took away those that were judged But Noah and his family were spared and they remained to continue to inhabit the earth. And in a similar fashion, when Christ returns, as we saw in recent weeks, we believe that there will be a separating, a judgment. And those that will be taken away into judgment, but others will remain and enter into his millennial future kingdom on the earth. So one will be taken, one will remain. Another will be taken, another will remain. Jesus is talking about that event, similar to the way things happened in the days of Noah. He elaborates a little bit more saying, had the homeowner been aware that his house was going to be broken into, he would have prepared, right? The time to install the alarm system is before the break-in, not after. So many of us wait until it's too late and then, oh gosh, we're not, we weren't ready for that. Jesus is talking about readiness, living your life ready for his return. Not talking about removing yourself from life at all, but living your life in that place. Life gets busy, doesn't it? You know, my, my week was, was very busy and, and what happens sometimes as a pastor, I, I get to see different Moments in people's lives that are very, you know, significant. Monday, I, I was at a, officiated a, a funeral service, a memorial service for a family here in our church. Now, it's a significant time. And, and so life is going on. People are being born. People are, are dying. Uh, I, my wife and I had opportunity to go up uh, to Northern California. We had a, a, a nephew and a niece graduating from high school. So this is a season for graduation. So we were up there celebrating graduation. This is Memorial Weekend. I have opportunity to be uh, ministering on a Memorial Day uh, event come this Tuesday. Saturday, I'll be officiating a wedding. I mean, life is just going on, isn't it? But as we live these events, as we go through these milestones, we don't want to forget that Christ is coming. God, God has, uh, has given us promise about his plans for the future. I was especially blessed uh, at, at the high school graduation I attended this past week. You know, graduations are kind of, you know, really celebration moments, right? A real coming of age for, for the high schooler that's graduating into either the workplace or the next chapter of, of, of education. It's such a milestone. And I was very blessed. Uh, we're, we're fortunate. Uh, my, my niece and nephew, both really solid Christian kids, kids, adults now. Um, but I', I got to say that my nephew really blessed me personally. Uh, you know, he, he, he was graduating there, and the first thing he came up after graduation, he saw me and my wife there and gave us a hug, and he said, "Oh, Uncle Rich, I wanted to tell you, I really would like for you to baptize me." before I start college, if there's any way this summer, I either come down there or you come up here. I just want you to baptize me. And it just so blessed my heart. Here's this young man. He's, a, he's an athlete, a great kid. He's going to play uh, ball for a junior college up there. Uh, but on his mind is being spiritually ready for the next chapter in his life. And I think that captures what Jesus is trying to encourage here. Look, you're going to live life. You should live life but don't live it so disconnected from the future spiritual realities that you just get caught up and you miss really the things that God has for you to prepare yourself for what he has ultimately for all of us eternally. Let's look at the third illustration together, the illustration of two servants, two servants that are identified for us, beginning in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an, an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two servants are contrasted in this illustration. These seem to be servants who have been entrusted with the care of the master's household. These are are individuals given some type of leadership, some type of authority, some type of opportunity to watch over the lives of others that are important to the master. One is a faithful and wise servant because he cares for the master's household. He's feeding, he's nurturing, he's, he's tending to the needs of those that are important to his master. He knows that his master will come someday and that he'll have to give account. He doesn't know when his master is coming, but he just knows that when he comes, he wants to be about his master's business. And to me, this this kind of speaks to those uh, to, to the call for all of us to take care of the body of Christ, to to to, to nurture and shepherd one another spiritually, to be mindful of uh, our fellow servants. Faithful to teach the word if if we're pastoring or parenting. Sincerely caring for the household of the master. We're important to him. Therefore, we should be important to one another. And so in any ministry or service to the body of Christ, we should be faithful and diligent, faithful and wise as servants because that servant is going to be blessed when Christ returns because he's going to find you doing the things that he entrusted to you. And it's important to do it in the process. You know, sometimes I'm this way, I'll be honest, I'm a procrastinator by nature. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that someday. Yeah, I need to get around to that. Yeah, I'd like to to help over there. Oh, yeah, I want to be a part of that sometime. I want to do that mission trip. I want to do that service to the Lord. I want to do that thing for the family. I, I need to take care of that situation. But, but then, you know, it never gets done. Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom his master, uh, when he comes, finds so doing. You see, It becomes a lifestyle of service and readiness. Not planning, but doing. But he also talks about the evil servant. And this is a servant who seems to believe that he has no accountability because his master is delaying. This is the employee who, who knows that the manager doesn't come in till 11 o'clock on Tuesdays. And so he kind of takes the morning off. This is the, the one that, you know, this is the, 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 the children at home who know mom and dad won't be home until, you know, later tonight. So the house is ours. And they kind of take over in an inappropriate way, right? You know what I'm talking about. This, isn't, this is the, the kind of servant that has no accountability. And it says that he beats his fellow servants. He takes advantage of his brothers and sisters in Christ. They are just his fellow servants. We are all accountable to the master, but he uses his, his or her place of authority and leadership irresponsibly and eats and drinks with the drunkards unfaithful and uncaring towards the master's household, preoccupied with selfish endeavors, too busy living in the world and enjoying those selfish pursuits. And Jesus said, when that master comes, this individual is identified as a hypocrite and that accountability will come. It'll come when this this servant least expects and he will be sent out and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that bitter regret. This is an exhortation to all of us to care for and serve the master's household. What's important to him ought be important to us. We have to balance that with with work and life and, and all the things that go on, but all of us have a responsibility to serve his household. Illustration number four, look on with me. We move now into chapter 25 we want to look at the parable of the 10 virgins. The parable of the 10 virgins, chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Jesus uses a picture of a Jewish wedding. This would have been familiar to his listeners, the disciples. It was typical of these virgins, which are basically the unmarried bridesmaids. They would accompany the groom to the wedding party. They would wait and the groom would come and typically invite the wedding party to his home to celebrate the wedding. This is not the groom coming for the bride; he's already come for the bride. This is him coming uh, for the the, the bridesmaids to come and celebrate with with him for the wedding. It would typically happen at the end of the day, a nighttime, a journey needing oil lamps. So the imagery is is clearly understood and. He compares five foolish virgins with five wives. The five foolish, they have their lamps and they have reserve oil for their lamps. The foolish ones have their lamps, but no reserve oil for the journey. The the wise virgins were prepared. They had gotten ready before the groom arrived. The foolish ones at the last minute, tried to scurry it together, but they found out that they missed the wedding. And although they came and said, Lord, Lord, let us in, the groom said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. They thought they had this connection and relationship, but they did not. The bridegroom was delayed. And I think we can say today that as we wait for Christ's return and the promises of the future, um, we can say they're delayed. We're waiting. He hasn't arrived. And the hour seems to be late. And the question is, are you ready? Are you prepared to persevere while he delays? The oil is often a symbol in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. I think that may have application here, that we should keep the Holy Spirit active in our lives. That would be an application for us, that we would have oil in our lamps. Many claim to be followers of Christ, claim to have relationship with him, but the Holy Spirit does not seem to be active in their life. How do you keep the Holy Spirit active in your life? Well, through, through prayer, fellowship with him, worship, through the word and the intimacy of his truth, through the fellowship of the body of Christ. These are the things that we can do. Salvation comes as a free gift, but we are encouraged to stir up that gift. We are encouraged to abide in Jesus that we might be fruitful. I think this is a picture of those that are diligently keeping oil in their lamps by abiding in relationship with Christ. I think the second thing that we can certainly draw from this is that we need to be prepared to persevere. Everybody likes the idea of going to the wedding. You know, let's celebrate, let's enjoy what the the groom has for us. But not everyone wants to wait for his delay. Not everyone is willing to endure for the Lord's timing and the Lord's will and purpose. And I think this would speak to those believers that seem sincere, but not really willing to endure any hardship for their faith, not really uh, willing to wait on God's timing and on God's uh, plan and purpose. They like the idea of the wedding, but they don't want to have to wait for the groom. They don't want to have to wait on the Lord. They don't want to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think we should be prepared to persevere. When Paul the apostle was called, he was told what great things he must suffer for the Lord Jesus' sake. That's a, that's a pretty tough calling. I'm calling you to ministry and it's going to include some suffering. There's a call to persevere and so oil in the lamps rep- represents that perseverance in the heart of the believer. And I think thirdly, the final thing out of this illustration that we can determine is that everyone is ultimately responsible for their own spiritual life. You can't borrow oil from your brother or sister. You've got to have that for your own life. You can't impart faith and, and spiritual vitality to another. Now, we can encourage one another. We can strengthen one another. We can, we can minister to one another, but ultimately, the, the work of grace in our lives has to come from Him, and it requires my own personal walk and prayer life and fellowship and keeping oil in my lamps. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. If we'll do it together, there is an encouragement. There's a fellowship. But ultimately, each of us is responsible for our own spiritual life. And listen, when the, when the groom came, the door was shut and it was too late. It was too late to get it together after the groom had come. Preparation is the watchword through these parables. Let's look at the fi- final illustration this morning. It's a long one. You may be familiar with it, it, it uh, just follow with me. It really presents the truth very, very well. It's the parable of the talents, our fifth and final illustration, the parable of the talents, picking up in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But those are the words we all long to hear, aren't they? Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The commendation for the second servant is identical. He comes with less talents, but his reward is the same because he was faithful. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, "'Gathering where you have not scattered seed. "'And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. "'Look, there you have what is yours.' "'But his Lord answered and said to him, "'You wicked and lazy servant. "'You knew that I, would, that, that I reap where I have not sown "'and gather where I have not scattered seed, "'so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, "'and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest.' So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to, who, for to everyone who has, more will be given him, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very sobering illustration, isn't it? Uh, now, just the illustration talking about talents, talents is just a weight, it's roughly 50 to 80 pounds. So this is, this is simply a story of where an owner entrusts certain financial resource, coins, gold, silver, something in weight given to each of these servants, and then calls them to account in the day of accountability. The good and faithful servants, they, they used the resource that was given to them to bring increase. They, they put it to work for the, for, the, for, the master's, for the master's household, for the master's uh, kingdom. They were good stewards of what they had, and so therefore more was given to them, and they were able to enter into the joy of their master. The wicked and lazy servant, out of fear, did nothing with the resource he buried the talent and he almost seems to blame the master a little bit look i knew you were a pretty hard shrewd austere businessman i didn't want to you know get entangled with that i didn't want to put anything at risk so i just buried it here it is it's all yours you wonder what was that servant doing during the time his master was absent well he wasn't using the resource for the master and so the master calls him out you are wicked and lazy takes what he has and gives it to those that were faithful. It's the principle of stewardship on display here. This idea that God has entrusted resource to us, his servants, and that with that resource, with that entrusting comes a stewardship. We are are called to be faithful with what he has given to us. Now we see that not everyone got the same in the illustration, and it's true for us. We're all individually gifted and uniquely Uh, talented in various ways, right? And and, and so very, uh, an individual gifting that we see in the body of Christ. And all of us have different amounts, different levels, different unique abilities. But the emphasis here is not on the amount, but on what was done with the amount. The emphasis here is not on measuring how much, but how faithful with what was given that's the ones, the ones that got the reward were those that were faithful with what had been entrusted to them. And so I believe that God has given each of us a stewardship. We have various gifts, abilities. We have various talents, time, money, resource, ability, opportunity. Some of you have opportunities. Uh, that others don't have in your workplace, in your family situation, in your particular journey that God has you on, you have unique opportunity to be his servant in that setting. And it's not for you to compare, well, he has more resource or ability or opportunity. No, God's not measuring on how much, God's measuring on how faithful with what you have. That's what God is looking for. Be faithful with what you have. And we see the principle here that, look, God will reward with more to those who have been faithful with the little. But what what stood out to me here is that God expects increase. God's not interested in us just kind of burying and giving it back. God's interested in us using whatever he's entrusted to us whatever doors, whatever abilities, whatever grace, whatever talent, whatever resource we have to advance his kingdom, to bring increase. We should be living for the Lord. Wherever you find yourself, you should be living for Jesus, looking to make impact for the master, to advance his kingdom, to multiply what he's given to you. And that becomes kind of the way you live live your life because that's why God's given it to you. God wants to work in our lives. God wants to use your life in in any application that you may find yourself, and he's looking for that kind of to awaken in your heart and learn to be faithful with whatever he has entrusted to you. Life goes by, doesn't it? You know, and and I think as we look at these passages, the the message is clear. Look, if you don't live ready now, it's going to catch up with you, and one day it's going to sneak up on you and it's going to be over and too late. Oh, I can, I can, now I want to get busy for the Lord now that I know, you know, it's real and he's coming and he's expecting, no, it's too late then. You know, I've had different, I'll say milestones in my life and, you know, I'm sure that you have too. But as those, as those things come your way, you know, it's a time to, to reevaluate, Lord, am I being faithful with what you've given to me? You know, this is graduation season. You know, maybe, maybe you're graduating from high school. A chapter's closing. You're not going back. You're not doing high school again. I hope not. We're not doing high school again. We're moving on to the next season and then the next graduation. If you go on from there, then you're married. Then you have a child. Then your child's in school. Now your child's graduating. I've got a little granddaughter now on my lap. And I can remember just at different seasons of my life where the Lord used it to kind of speak into my life. Lord, have I been faithful thus far? Do I need to make some adjustments? Do I need to kind of re- reevaluate my investment strategy with the resource that you've entrusted to me? I, I can tell you, church, there were a few times that were just so profound in my life. Crossroads events in my family situation, events in my career situation. I, I, re- I remember uh, when my wife came down with this illness that we wrestled with for a couple of years, my whole priority world was reorganized. What I thought was so important became really of no importance and the things that I had maybe been neglecting became so important. I remember when I... Uh, walked into Calvary Chapel, La Mirada, for the very first time. This was many years ago. My wife and I, we were looking for a place to fellowship, and I walked into the church, and there was uh, my high school buddy. that We got saved together as teenagers, and there he was standing behind the pulpit. And it just was like this awakening for me. Wow. That's how he's using what God's entrusted to him. And it kind of woke up in me this desire to be useful to the Lord. Now, not everyone is called to, to public ministry, to pastoring, but, but for me, that's where it led. But the, my point is this, I didn't know where it would lead. I just knew in my heart, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not investing as well as I need to. And something about my high school buddy there kind of being used in a, in, a, in a kind of a way I'd never pictured him. You know how it is, you see somebody that you only know in a certain setting and it just kind of startles you. And the Lord used it to kind of stir in me this stewardship, wanting to be faithful. I want to encourage you today. It's not too late. The master has delayed his coming, but he is coming. But let's not use that delay to kind of be slothful or, you know, procrastinate. Let's use this time to prepare ourselves and to be ready and to make the best of what God has entrusted to us for his kingdom, for his glory. He saved us. He loves us. He's bought us. He's purchased us. He's cleansed you from your sin. He's redeemed you. He set your feet upon a rock. And now he wants to use your life in a way that will glorify him and bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these passages today. Jesus, All of this prophetic voice that you've given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, it comes with a sense of application today. You tell us something of what's coming, but then you tell us how to use it, to use it to prepare and be ready and watchful and faithful. And so, God, I pray that that would stir in our hearts today. Lord, not from a sense of guilt or condemnation, but rather. As an opportunity, an inspiration. It's not too late, Lord, you may be speaking to hearts right now that you want to use their lives in ways that they've not even dreamed of, and you're calling them today to awaken to this potential not in and of themselves, but in you and what you want to entrust to them. I pray, God, that, you would, that those things would find faithful hearts today to respond. And as we prepare here today to partake of the Lord's table and ask the ushers to come forward and our musicians to prepare, and just before we partake of the elements, I, I do want to give an opportunity for anyone here today that may need to respond to the Lord. So I'm thinking of those of you that, that may need to come to faith in Christ. You may be here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, and I'd love to pray for you. But I'm also thinking of those that, that may need to just kind of reset their spiritual lives. If you're here today and the Lord is speaking to you about just the stewardship of your life, and, and, and you recognize that, that you're not investing wisely. Maybe, you're, maybe you've got some resource that you've buried. Maybe you've been so distracted, preoccupied with life and its cares and its pursuits that you're just not mindful of things of the kingdom. But God is awakening something in your heart today. And you just want to acknowledge, you just want to acknowledge, Lord, I hear you. And my heart is open to respond to you. I'd like to pray for you. I'm going to ask you, if that's you, if you want to, maybe you're here and you want to come to Christ, include you in this prayer. Maybe you're here and you just want to give all once again back to Christ. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. not a lot of hands today. Amen. Amen. God loves you. Anyone else? I'm going to pray for this group and then we're going to partake of communion, the Lord's table. Anybody else today? All right, quite a few. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts today. Time just slips by, Lord. We find ourselves today kind of being called to stewardship. That's my sense, Lord. That's my sense of what you're ministering in many hearts here this, this, this day. Lord, stewardship first and foremost begins with salvation. We have nothing to be faithful with until we've come to the faithful one, the one who died for us and rose again for our sin. And so for the hearts that may be here today just needing to receive Christ, Lord, I pray that you would just meet them and that they would just be honest and sincere. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I want to live for you. But my sense, Lord, is many hearts here today just really needing to kind of realign and maybe reset some priorities and, and recommit their heart to say, Lord, I, I've been distracted. I've gotten off course. I've I mean, well, but Lord, I just just not where I know you want me to be. I'm not walking in the things I believe you've called me to walk in. And today, Lord, I'm asking you to have your way in my heart and to reset, Lord. I can't do it all at once in a moment. But Lord, today, may it be the beginning of a new course for those responding today, Lord, a new course of faithfulness of being about the master's business so that when he comes, he finds us doing those things he's called us to do. I pray that by your grace, Lord, you will begin to navigate our course to that place. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.